Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to the weekend on 1480 WHBC. I'm Bill Morgan with you until 11 o'clock this morning and 342 miles from the WHBC studios in our nation's capital. You, of course, and I know it better as Washington, D.C. We have a bunch of politicians who uh, had an extended summer break because heaven forbid that taxpayer paid politicians don't get a summer break when half of us don't have a damn job but they had an opportunity to take their summer break and they were charged with coming back and i'm specifically speaking in this instance of the u.s senate to come back and getting another care bill in place to help virtually everybody listening this morning i don't care if you're a democrat i don't care if you're a republican Somewhere in between, I don't care if you're uh, a guy or gal who's a blue-collar worker that's on the uh, factory lines somewhere here in Camden-Stark County. I don't care if you're a business owner. And everybody in between and surrounding that group, we all need a little bit of help right now. Um, We all know the unemployment, federally funded supplement, that has come to a close. So uh, what money you were getting from that, if you're somebody who uh, fell into that, Apple Basket. Ah, game show buzzer. That's gone. Uh, if you're a business that needs help meeting payroll, again, game show buzzer. That's gone. No matter who you are, uh, maybe hoping to get another one of those uh, supplement checks, that may happen. That may not happen. My biggest problem is, and I realize, and there will people who will call at 330-450-1480 and say, We can't continue to print money. And I'm not in disagreement with that. But until things get on a better track, we've got to provide people with some help in some way, shape, or form. And with the Senate unable to come to uh, an agreement with the House, the House unable to come to an agreement with the Senate, the President not able to come to an agreement with either one of them, It leaves everybody struggling. And I would like to think, and I realize this is a Pollyanna point of view, that those three specific entities, the House of Representatives, the President of the United States, and the U.S. Senate, could come to an agreement to help the American people. I I don't think it's too outrageous of a request here on the weekend on WHBC to say, I wish those three could unite and do something for the people that employ them, the taxpayers. You know, that's you. That's me. That's John Bozica, who's here producing and uh, with me on the show this morning. It's everybody. Now, what is uh, the magic solution? 
not to getting them to cooperate, but to helping people. I don't know. I realize you can't come to these decisions overnight. But when it seems like there's no unity to work toward the solution, that's my problem. And I don't want to see Democrats uh, standing on uh, their high and mighty tower and say, well, the uh, House of Representatives back in, and it's, it has been a couple of months since the House of Representatives approved their proposal for another care package. The Senate took no action on it, and then uh, the Senate uh, did offer something up after they came back from their summer vacation. I'm sure they were on beaches in the U.S., outside of the U.S., taking time off and uh, enjoying, um, you know, some posh goings-on. Because believe me, U.S. Senators ain't going to the same place you go and I go for vacation. A lot of us, uh, let's face it, for us in the summer of 2020, many of us, vacay has turned to staycay. You're, you're at home. You're simply trying to, A, stay healthy with what's going on with COVID-19, you may not have the money to take a, a regular vacation. You may not even have uh, enough uh, dimes to rub together to perhaps go on one of those little, you know, mini weekend things where you would take off work on a Friday, maybe a bolt Thursday after work and stay somewhere Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. That's a, a short drive away from the greatness that is the city of Canton and the greatness that is Stark County. Yet you can guarantee that when the uh, senators took their summer break uh, they were not staying at home they were at some all-inclusive resort somewhere uh, thanks largely in part to the money that you put in their pocket or that some uh, PAC that's political action committee for those who don't know put in their pocket and their lives haven't changed and that may be at the root of this entire problem why another care package hasn't been put together and approved and signed by the House, by the Senate, by the President. This really, other than getting a lot of phone calls and emails at their office, this hasn't affected those people. Because in many, many instances, I'm not going to say all instances, but in many, many instances, what has happened um, financially with COVID-19, uh, perhaps what has even happened Health-wise with COVID-19, there, there certainly have been uh, some reps, some senators who have been in that situation. There have been um, some workers inside the Trump administration who have been affected uh, by COVID-19. But for the most part, it hasn't changed their day-to-day -day lives. And not that you would want COVID-19 to be on the part of anybody's back, whether it be directly, whether it be via a family member in terms of the illness. But you know what? I kind of wish that uh, some of those wealthy politicians would be affected and uh, feel a pinch on the financial side of it to see what some people are going through. Hey, where's uh, the next meal going to come from? How am I going to pay my rent at the beginning of the month? Hell, how am I going to pay my mortgage? at the beginning of the month. But because they're not affected like you are, because they're not affected like I am, because now how many of you small business owners listening to WHBC this morning are going through this? How am I going to make payroll? I've got people I know that are depending on me to be able to meet my payroll. 
so they don't starve, so they don't get kicked out of their homes. The incredible amount of pressure that goes on somebody like that, SBO small business owner, not only are you yourself trying to personally avoid bankruptcy and and shuttering the doors on your business, but if you've got 10, 15, 35 employees and you know that they're counting on their check from you and you look in the payroll fund, you look in your emergency auxiliary fund, and you know you can't pay them. It is a, you talk to anybody who's ever been through that, who gives up care about their employees, it is a sickening feeling. A lot of those men, a lot of those women, would rather not have a dime themselves than have it to look Jonathan Smith in the face or Susie Jones in the face and say, Susie, I, I can't give you your check this week. I don't have the money. It's a sickening feeling. And again, why the Senate, why the House, why the President, why all three of those entities can't come together for your good, for your neighbor's good, for your business's good, I can't answer that. Maybe you know why. Maybe you have a theory. Maybe collectively this morning we can come together and come up with not only theories, because if uh, a wise guy once told me, if you're going to complain, if you're going to point out a problem, that's okay, but have a solution. Have the means to a solution when there is a problem. And we need to do that this morning because if we don't, the crying and moaning and complaining that we may or may not do on the weekend isn't going to do anybody a lot of good. You might feel a little bit better if you vent with us this morning, and we invite you to do that, but have a solution. That would help. 330-450-1480. You're listening to WHBC. got the weekend on 1480 WHBC. I'm Bill Morgan. John Bozica alongside and uh, John, we were discussing money issues so many people are facing with what's going on as the financial ramifications of uh, COVID-19. And I was sharing with you when we both got into the building that um, because of a lack of funds, if you will, Mrs. Morgan and I, uh, we've got big social plans after the show oh. today. Uh, we're going to go hang out at Sam's Club up there oh, on the Strip. So I, that's what things have come to for the Morgans and many people like us. And not, no offense to the people at Sam's Club. They're great people. The people that work there, the people that shop there. But when you're highlighting Sam's Club as the social event for the weekend, I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. I mean, to to show that... You know, I think it's similar for Allie and I. I mean, we had Chipotle for dinner the other night, and that was like, you know, a a, a big deal. That was like gourmet cuisine. I mean, it is, you know, because you... Here's the thing, is that not only are these times hard because of the pandemic, but it's also hard because it's like you can't really safely still do anything. You can, like, you can test those waters. Like, the other day, Noah and I went for lunch because, you know, we... We just wanted to go over and 
eat somewhere downtown, and we drove over to Bender's and ate outside at Bender's, and they have a very affordable lunch menu, and, like, as we were sitting there, it's like we were just saying, like, this is wild. Like, I haven't done this in how many months? Sure. Just go and sit somewhere. So, you know, getting something out, even if it is Chipotle, is, you know, anything seems gourmet right now because it's like you can't go out. You can't. You know, you can, but do you want to risk getting COVID? Well, and I think in your case, and you and I have had some uh, friendly back and forth about this, some not so friendly back and forth about it. You are uh, certainly more, and there's nothing wrong with this. You're you're a little bit more on the cautious side. Mm-hmm. I've probably been out to eat six or seven times, uh, you know, since we were allowed to start going back out to eat. And I don't think you have done that as much. I I could be wrong. Bender's was my first time. Well, see, and then when that happens, uh, when I go out to eat with my wife or with a friend like you did with Noah, um, to me it's as much social as it is food. And so when I don't have an opportunity to do that or people are hesitant to do that, and I, and I get that, really kinds of, it kind of makes a what is already for me honestly a pathetic social life to begin with uh, even more so because i i can't get out and do things so now today not only am i going to sam's club i don't really want to i'm kind of looking forward to it i mean what has my life come to when i'm looking forward to going to sam's club with my wife. I feel like this this program now should be called The Degradation of Bill Morgan by himself. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, but it's like, kind of crazy. But the thing is, is that, you know, just even though you've been out to eat six or seven times, and even though you've probably enjoyed it, you probably still feel like you're tiptoeing around, you know? Like, you don't go in there and think, I'm just going to go around like I normally would. Like, if I went to a restaurant, I would be so cautious about avoiding just, like, contact with anything or contact with everyone. Like, and, you know, something as simple as going to use the restroom at a restaurant, that to me would be a, like, decision. Like, do I go or do I wait until I get home? Sure. You know what I mean? It's like, because... You just don't know. It's like even when I I went golfing yesterday and I never I never use the restroom at a golf course anymore. Like I used to, but now I don't because I'm thinking to myself, you know, I mean, what are the chances that maybe it's not it's not safe? Like I trust the people at the courses I go to cuz I normally go to places where I know the owners, but at the same time I'm not going to put myself at risk like that. You know, I mean, I guess I I could say I'm putting myself at risk by driving a cart that, you know, 30 other people could have touched that day, but... It's okay, John. They've sanitized it. I I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, look, it's tough to just stop your life. It is. You know, and, and so many of us have done that, and I think that's maybe what's frustrating for people like us is that we have been careful. We have been cautious. We are doing the things that we're supposed to because... We want the world to go back to normal. And it's like when we see other people not doing it, that's where the frustration sets in. You know, if you go out to a restaurant, and you see somebody complaining about having to wear a mask into the restaurant. Like, you know, I mean, it's 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 frustrating for people like us to to live through that then. Well, and I think the other part and I'm going to get into the mask situation a little bit later on this morning. But I think the other imminent challenge with uh, what is now a mask mandate is 
when people don't want to wear a mask, when they forget to wear a mask, and that's happened to me a couple of times. I was going into a uh, Circle K close to where I live uh, yesterday to uh, get a can of pop and a bottle of water, and uh, I popped out of my car, and I got within about four steps to the door, so I don't have my mask on. So I went back uh, because I, I don't you know, I don't wear my mask while I'm driving in the car by myself. So I went back, got my. There mask. are people who do that, by the way. Uh, that's and this just in. Um, I'm not Jim Adams from the City of Canton Health Department. You don't need to do that. No, no, that's not necessary. It's a, it, it, some people say they do that because of convenience, like if they were at work and they're going to run an errand a short distance yeah. from work, they feel like it's less hassle. To take the mask off when they get in the car, put it back on when they go into the store. I have a question for you. When you go through a drive-thru, which I know that we, we both have done that. <laughs> a time or two. Um, do you wear a mask? Because, like, when I go through and I... Like, I know they have the plexiglass up at a lot of places. Yes, they do. But, like, I still... I, I still feel... Because I, I do wear a mask. Okay. And I do it, I feel like, as a courtesy that, like, if I cough in the general direction of... The person handing me my bag of apples salad. and salad that that way I won't pass COVID. And then the fries that I get will not have COVID on them. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I mean, like, I, I, I do. I, I, I just, you know, let me give you an example of something that I thought was crazy. And I and this is a place. That if uh, we got in our cars and, and drove there, we could be there in less than five minutes. Uh, is, it, my, is it Taggart's for cottage cheese? It is. It's not Taggart's. Although Taggart's is brilliant. I don't know if we'll have cottage cheese talk later today or not. But we... Um, I can't help myself. When, when we went into the restaurant, we got there and... And and I'm being I I don't want to be facetious on this stuff. I want to tell it exactly like it is in case somebody ever saw me do this. They could say, I saw you at play. If I'm going into a restaurant, given it's only been a couple of times since this happened, I do not wear a mask into the restaurant. I, I hadn't prior to this incident this past weekend. Now, this comes after the mask mandate. I got into the lobby of this place, and the uh, gentleman who was the host, taking people to their tables, he says, sir, do you have a mask? And I said, I do, but it's in the car, but I'm coming in to eat, and I won't be wearing my mask while I eat and drink. And he said, well, we are asking people. And he was very polite, mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. professional. And he says, well, when you're going to your table... Or if you have to, you mentioned the restroom. If you have to go to the restroom, we would ask that you put a mask on. So um, I have one here. Will you wear it? And I said, sure, I'm happy to wear it. So I put it on. And and to me, again, in the interest of full disclosure, I walked like six steps to my table and took the mask off. Well, later on in this particular restaurant, from where we were seated, I can see into the kitchen. And I could see, without exaggeration, three cooks, chefs, whatever you would like to call them. Not one of them had a mask on. So you're asking, and all the, the servers and the bartenders that I could see, they all had masks on. So 
they want me to wear a mask to go four steps from the waiting area to my table. Okay, I'm okay. But then the people who are preparing my food don't have a mask on. I got a problem with that. Your thoughts? You, personally? We'll dive into that. I'll tell you when I come back. Okay, when we come back, we've got news headlines and then more. It is The Weekend on WHBC. Fourteen eighty WHBC, the weekend with Bill Morgan and you until eleven o'clock, and going to dive into some things happening or possibly looking in the days and week or so ahead may not be happening with the Major League Baseball as a COVID nineteen has already a week into the season reared its ugly head in the MLB. Speaking of Major League Baseball, it's the Tribe tonight on WHBC. As they continue their four-game series with Minnesota, the Tribe falling last night on that four-game set, now split at a game each. You'll hear Tom Hamilton and uh, Jim Rosenhouse with the call on WHBC, beginning with the pregame show at 6.35 tonight. And the first pitch coming up just past 7 o'clock of the Indians on Friday night, really getting their first crummy starting pitching performance of the season. Mike Clevenger uh, simply didn't have it, gave up three runs in the first inning. And uh, with the way the Indians uh, weren't hitting the ball last night, uh, that proved to be uh, more than enough for a Rocco Baldelli's team as they would go on to a 4-1 win. But the Tribe will try to rebound tonight. And again, it's on WHBC 7-10, the first pitch with Hammy and Jim Rosenhouse. Hey, by the way, one additional feature to our Indians coverage on WHBC here in 2020. You are able to hear those games online. A a new agreement with uh, WHBC, Major League Baseball, and the Indians allowing us to stream Tom and Jim Rosenhouse's play-by-play, something uh, we were not able to do in the past. But we are able to do it uh, beginning here in 2020. So uh, whether you want to hear on the radio at 1480 WHBC, or you want to hear it online, you can do it there as well. The Indians Radio Network, all season long, from 1480 WHBC. As the show got underway, talking about uh, action or lack thereof, 342 miles from Stark County in Washington, D.C., amongst the House, amongst the Senate, and the President of the United States, in terms of getting another care bill out to help people from the financial angle of what's happening with COVID-19. There, of course, is money inside of there uh, to uh, help from the health perspective. But I think when people hear about these care bills, uh, they're thinking more about how it is going to help them in a financial regard. Now, you may be somebody, and certainly there are these people out there, that um, don't think that, those care bills are necessary or maybe uh, don't need to be to the financial extent that they are. And we'd be interested to hear from you this morning as well, but I I think we're still at a point in time where we need another care bill. Uh, Can uh, the Congress continue to have care bills and put money out there uh, ad nauseum? Absolutely not. Uh, I I think politically, in terms of uh, you may wonder how I am, You could view me as a social moderate, 
but a financial conservative. So, no, we can't keep printing money. Now, the Senate has put out a proposal. The House has already approved a proposal. And as usually happens in the game that is politics, when one of these care packages gets approved and the president signs off on it, which is going to happen, the question is, when is it going to happen? It'll be somewhere in the middle of what the two sides have proposed. The House, of course, at this point in time, majority Democrats, the U.S. Senate, majority Republicans. Um, the bill that the Senate has proposed after they came back from their extended summer recess when they're putting copper tone uh, on their bodies and relaxing while you and I try to figure out um, what we're going to serve up for dinner or uh, how we're going to uh, pay the electric bill with temperatures being as warm as they have been. So while they've been out sunning and tanning on the beaches, their proposal, the U.S. Senate, Republican majority, financially significantly less, a little bit over a trillion dollars than uh, what the Democrats proposed, which was roughly about triple that in the offer that the, they had put together and proposed and approved a few months back. Now, and this is where I say, like, I'm a financial conservative. Do I think we need to rubber stamp what the House had? No, I do not. Do I agree 100% with what the Senate has done? No. I, I'm one of those, it's got to be in the middle, guys. There's got to be a little bit of what the Senate has cooked up. There's got to be some of what the House has cooked up to try and get us back on this straight and narrow path. So you could call that, from my perspective, what you want to. You could call it a little wishy-washy. You could call it, you know what, pick a side, Morgan, one or the other. But I think in this case, and there are times when I will pick an exclusive side and, and lean my tendency in that direction. But I think to get done for the American people, for the people of Canton, for the people of Stark County, what needs to get done, you're probably going to have to to pick and choose and have a little bit of both. Now, if you don't think anybody needs any government assistance, doesn't need a dime from the U.S. Senate or the Congress, you don't want the president to sign off on a bill, you're doing just fine completely on your own, then God bless you and God bless the United States of America. But I don't think the majority of people are in that situation. Here's a situation inside my own house. Now, if they're going to produce, um, as a part of this care package, do I personally need, and by the way, I haven't had full-time employment for about three months. So don't think because you hear me on the radio, I'm driving some Mercedes-Benz to WHBC on Saturday mornings for the weekend. I, I've been out of a full-time job for three months. So I'm right there. Have I been collecting uh, in part unemployment? I get paid for this. So do I get the, the full unemployment benefit? No, I do not, nor should I. But I'm not any different than a lot of people listening this morning. So, however, because... We're at my house, a two-income household, and my wife has a full-time job. We could get by without the stimulus check. We could. Now, if they send Mrs. Morgan a $1,200 stimulus check, 
If they send Moa a $1,200 stimulus check, am I going to send it back? Hell no, I'm not going to send it back. But could I survive? Could our house survive without that $2,400 um, to help what's going on with the financial situation the nation finds themselves in? I could. Uh, I could. Now, maybe you couldn't, and that's fine. And that's why I was never against in talking about specifically the stimulus check situation, a Republican proposal to sort of scale back who got those stimulus checks. So does a household making $100,000 need $2,400 in stimulus check money? I would propose to you, and I could be wrong, that the average house making $100,000 probably doesn't need $2,400 from the government. Could they? Sure. But I would tell you the majority of them probably do not. Now, if you're a single-income home and you make $30,000 and you have four kids and you have yourself and a spouse, could you use that $2,400? You're right, you could. Should the government, and if as a normally $30,000 dollar income household. Oh, by the way, you're not at $30,000 because the wage earner, whether it's mom or dad, is unemployed right now. Could they use the 2400 bucks? Obviously, they could. In this scenario, this pandemic craziness, should the government get them that 2400 bucks? I believe that they should. Again, if you're making $100,000 or whatever number you want to begin to float out there, do they need the $2,400? I think they could get by without it. It is the weekend. It is WHBC. And again, 342 miles away. Hopefully, they're working toward a comparative solution that the House of Reps, the U.S. Senate, and that Donald J. Trump can come to an agreement on. Because... They haven't got it done so far. And now, if you're of the unemployment variety, you're still getting your state benefit, but you ain't getting that federal assistance. That's gone. That ended for people in the state of Ohio and almost every other state last weekend. Technically, it ended on July 31st, but because of the way unemployment runs uh, in most states from Sunday to Saturday, The last time that here in the state of Ohio you were getting that $600 federal supplement, it ended with the week people filed for a week ago. When they file uh, tonight at midnight, then they're not going to get that $600 supplement. They may end up getting it on the backside if they extend this thing. Uh, The Republican proposal uh, sits at $200. And when I say Republican, the U.S. Senate proposal with Republican majority is at $200 a week. Uh, What the House has approved was an extension of the $600 a week through the end of January of 2021. And I think the happy medium is that, somewhere in the middle of those two. But for God's sake, do something. Quit sitting on your keisters in Washington, D.C., partisan bickering, Democrats, Republicans, Republicans, Democrats, people in the middle. Get something done for the people of Canton. Get something done for the people of Stark County. Get something done for the U.S. taxpayers who are paying your wages as senators and House of Representatives members. 
This is the weekend, and this is WHBC. The Weekend on 1480 WHBC. I'm Bill Morgan. Thanks for tuning in this morning, whether you're doing so uh, online at WHBC.com on 1480. Uh, utilizing Alexa to join us this morning. We appreciate that as well. John Bozik is here and um, John producing the show, which takes extraordinary effort and energy. So uh, you hear John a little bit on the show, but not too much. But John, because you are the radio station's foremost authority on high school sports in Canton and Stark County. Today, August 1st, is the official start day for practices for fall sports. And we all know what they are. It's highlighted, as always, by football. Mm -hmm. And the OHSAA making, I believe, an official announcement yesterday um, that they would continue with that plan. But however, earlier in the week, they said no scrimmages at this point in time, uh, for whatever sport you're talking about. You know, football, volleyball, none of that going on. And it leads me to ask you this question based on things you've heard, sources you've talked to. And this is not a do you want question. It's a do you think it's going to happen. Do you think that the high school football season can kick off on time, if at all, based on the current situation? I just, currently, I don't think it could happen. Like, I don't think, based on where we're at today, it can happen. Um, And I I don't even know if in a month or two it could happen. I just think that it's not really, it's not about what day you start it. It's about what you do to make it safe. And the issue is that, how can you take a sport that is literally built on contact and make it safe? I am trying to think of a way I have thought hundreds of, of different possibilities through and nothing comes to my mind that seems to make sense. That's like, yes, if they did it that way, it would be safe. Nothing is safe no matter which way you look at it. So I guess the question becomes, even beyond that is, you know, at what point do you just say it's not doable? You know, and you look at some of the other leagues and some of the other parts of the state, and I don't think it's a mystery to many who know high school football that the big news yesterday was that the Toledo Public Schools or the Toledo City Athletic League has canceled fall sports. So they're not going to have them at all. And they'll discuss plans about the winter season starting on October 1st. And I think that, unfortunately, a move like this is the start, probably, of other districts doing something similar. We know that Summit County, the health department, has recommended that schools try not to play before October 1st. But Portage County has done the same thing. But it's like, at what point... I, I just don't know. I, I think at some point, schools and athletic directors and even the OHSAA is going to have to look themselves in the mirror. And I think this is the problem, is that I think whereas the schools are probably doing everything they can 
from the coaches that I've talked to, we had Bo Balderson from Glen Oak on this week. We had Spider Miller on from East Canton. Um, you know, we had a number of different coaches that we talked to, and the theme that I keep getting from each and every one of them, Bill, is that they just want a decision. It doesn't matter, you know, obviously it matters which way the decision is going to go. Like, they'll be upset if they don't have sports, but they'll get past it, and the kids will get past it eventually. It'll be some time, but they don't want this thing to keep dragging along. The further it goes, the more frustrated these coaches, the more frustrated these fans, these kids, these parents, whoever they may be, they get about this whole situation. And it's simply going to continue, and you can't tell me, and does that mean I know unequivocally what's going to or not going to happen? Obviously not. However, if they're saying you can't scrimmage, and with practices on the, on the football side of things, we're talking strictly right here, um, you know, beginning today, the scrimmages would start in about a week, and if you can't scrimmage the second full week in August, what in the name of Paul Brown makes you think you're going to be able to play a full competitive game three weeks after that? I, I just don't see it happening. Do I want it to unfold like that, John? No, I don't. You don't. I don't think anybody listening does. But in the um, interest of safety and things along those lines, it looks like that's the way that's going to happen. Well, and, and I just I look at it and I say to myself, when does the OHSA decide that there is a point of no return on this? Like, at what point do they say it is too late now to try to salvage this season? It is too late to maybe potentially swap the seasons. And that's the thing is that because they never put that plan into motion, if they were to say on the 4th, which is when the Ohio High School Football Coaches Association is supposed to have the meeting with Lieutenant Governor Houston, if they were to say on that day, you know, Lieutenant Governor Houston was to say, hey, we're not going to have high school football this fall. All of a sudden, you know, the OHSA would have to flip everything completely because they haven't had a chance to do anything to try to rectify the situation. At least if you try to switch it to the spring and it doesn't work out here, it gives you more months to run tests, to try to figure out a way to to make it safe, to, to go through a process of, you know, implementing all of these rules. Like, there's a 38-page document that the Football Coaches Association put out. You can't tell me that every school in the state is going to implement all things in that 38-page document. It's impossible. Speaking so, speaking of impossible and a reluctance to do so, Major League Baseball has an issue. They have, I believe, a 113-page document that certainly the Miami Marlins were not following last weekend. We'll tell you about that, the problems the Marlins and maybe the rest of Major League Baseball are facing. That's when the weekend continues on WHBC. How about that? Fourteen eighty WHBC the weekend. I'm Bill Morgan with you until eleven o'clock. Are you going to go on vacation in twenty twenty? Have you already gone on vacation 
in 2020. And how has that vacation uh, differed or not from what the, you and your family or you and your loved one that you vacation with would normally do in a time where you didn't have a pandemic going on? Uh, in about a week, I don't even know when it is, I just show up when my wife tells me to show up and drive the car and, and go where we're supposed to go. But uh, we're going up uh, to the Lake Erie area. Uh, she and I and our two adult children, our um, soon-to-be 22-year-old son, our now 21-year-old daughter, and um going to spend uh, three nights uh, on a uh, cabin on the lake. Now, what do, uh, do we normally, in this scenario, what we would do as a part of doing that is we'd go to Cedar Point. Uh, from where we will be staying to Cedar Point, it's probably about 15, 20 minutes. But we're not doing that this year in part because of uh, the pandemic situation. Some of the rides aren't open. You know, people that could be walking around that may or may not have masks on in that situation. We'll probably spend uh, some time doing family things, uh, staying uh, in the uh, cabin, the cottage. I guess it's more cottage than it is a cabin. So uh, clearly for us, and we'd be doing more things, which we may or may not do this time around. You know, taking a, a ferry, Putin Bay, and boy, they've had some COVID nineteen issues. Putin Bay, to be sure. But will we do that? Will we? I, I don't know. We haven't actually made that decision yet. But but clearly, if nothing else, uh, from the Morgan family perspective, it has altered how we are approaching vacation 2020 to be sure and going back to our original vacation plans and if you are somebody who would do what i'm about to talk about you'll be nodding your head because you didn't do it either we had worked hard to save a little bit of extra money and we were going to go on a cruise this year we already had it booked and uh that that didn't happen the cruise got canceled we had canceled us going on the cruise ahead of the cruise being officially canceled. Uh, the good news was for us, hopefully it was for you, if, if you had a cruise plan, we got every dime we had put down back. And you talk about uh, one of the industries that's been absolutely wrecked by COVID-19, and that's the cruise industry. Now, somebody who is uh, in this building, there are only two of us, that has gone on a vacation. It was a working vacation. John Bozica. John, what did you and Allie do when you went on vacation, and how much of what you did when you, I think you guys were in the Carolinas or something, you did your show from down there. Uh, yeah. How, how much of what you guys did when you got there was altered? Um, trying to think. Quite a bit, I would say. And I think the biggest things that were altered were that, like, we didn't go out to eat once. Um, we only went to the store when we absolutely had to. Um, we still went and did some like tourist shopping. And what I mean by that is we still went and got our shirts and got our, you know, the, the, the crap that you pick up when you go to the beach, uh, just to add to the pile of stuff that you already have in your life that you never wear. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we went and we got that, um, you know, I mean, so uh, some things were altered. Like, I mean, last year when we, when I golfed this time, I didn't do that. Um, you know, we, we tried to spend a good amount of time at the beach, but we also were cautious about how much time we spent down there. 
you know, I mean, you just did little things. You spent a lot of time in the house, and I think the 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 phrase that we kind of lived by for that week was, it's better to be in a house for a week by the beach than it is to be in a house in Northeast Ohio for a week in the middle of the summer. And that's not to say, because I love Northeast Ohio, and, and I obviously want to live here, and it's my home, but, you know, for a week during the pandemic, it was good to to get away for a short sure. period of time. So, like, not... Let me just put it like this. We didn't do a lot of things that were like extracurriculars, if you will. We spent a lot of time at the <laughs> at the house, and that was about it. How has what's going on with COVID-19 affected your vacation plans? Are you still going to take a vacation? Are you going to scale it way back? Or are you going to do what you normally do? We're interested to hear that this morning. And uh, this isn't uh, one of those scenarios where when you call us at 330-450-1480, and if you tell me, hey, uh, we are going to Cedar Point, or hey, uh, we're going to go down to Myrtle Beach, and um, to the best of our abilities in terms of what's open, what's not open, we're going to do what we normally do. Uh, not a time of judgment on the weekend. I'm just interested to hear what people are doing or not doing. And it'll be interesting to, to find out on that perspective, you know, uh, are you simply going to get away and try and enjoy yourself like you normally would? Or are you going to try and get away and enjoy yourself with scaled back expectations? John, for whatever reason, uh, I only live like 25 minutes south of here down in New Philadelphia. A lot of people from our area uh, go to Gatlinburg. They go to Gatlinburg. They go to Pigeon Forge, which technically not the same thing, but essentially the same thing. And uh, I know quite a few people who have still made their trips. And I think maybe, and I haven't actually asked them, but one of the reasons is um, those places tend to be you're in a cabin, you're not as close to people as you normally are, a cottage or something. So maybe that's why people are continuing to go to places like Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge is because they can go, they can get away from it, sort of like a you and Allie did, and not necessarily have to be in the throes of what they're experiencing day to day here in Northeast Ohio. So maybe that's a possibility. Three, well, three. And I do think that that's a, a big reason why people have been trying to get away is, is not necessarily for the sake of like, I'm going to go and do a bunch of stuff and try to pass COVID along, but it's so that, you know, it's what we said, it's that you get away for a bit. Cause you know, being here and, and not being able to do much. I mean, it's not like we can, go to a beach anywhere near here and go and swim in the water. I mean, unless you go up to like Presque Isle up in what area, I don't know if you've ever been up that area, but uh, you know, that's the only place that I can think of that's like similar to a beach. But again, that's not even like a, it's not even salt water. That's still lake water. And it's probably very cold. 330-450-1480, as we talk a little vacation in the summer of 2020 and how it's been altered or maybe from your perspective how you're not going to alter it as uh, what you will be doing or what you will not be doing when it comes to taking a break from uh, work when it comes to taking a break from uh, COVID-19 or whatever the situation happens to be we're here until 11 o'clock you can also uh, shoot me an email uh, bill at whbc.com bill at whbc.com and uh, we will continue to talk about that and more you have mark on line one here 
Mark, good morning. You're on WHBC. Oh, good morning, gentlemen. I'm out here in the rain. <laughs> uh, just taking a short trip. Uh, we, uh, our family, usually fly, uh, fly or drive uh, down to uh, Destin, Florida, at the uh, end of May. Uh, we've been doing it for almost nine years. Get the cottages and the uh, beach houses right on the beach. And this year we did not go. Uh, this is the first year that we missed because of the COVID. Now, having with that having been uh, Mark in the rearview mirror at this point, are you satisfied with your decision? Looking back, do you wish you would have gone? Uh, what are you thinking about that now that you guys have already made that decision and it's come and gone? I think that it's the right decision. I, yeah. I mean, it was most of the families. I would have gone. Uh, I'm single. You know, I live here in Canton. Um, so I, I would have been okay with, you know, just kind of eating to myself anyhow. But the rest of the family, you know, they have the kids and everything, and, and they just decided it'd be better if we stayed home this year. Mark, what are you hearing in terms of uh, the people you work with, your neighbors, your buddies, are they doing something similar? Are they still going on their vacation? Your circle of uh, influence, if you will, Mark, are people doing similar to what you've done, or is it kind of all over the place? Uh, the um, uh, I'm retired. I'm, uh, I'm a homebody. My neighbor, uh, she usually does you know, one trip a year to whatever, Jamaica, or have a cruise. Uh, my people at church all have uh, all decided not to go anywhere this year. Yeah, yeah. Mark, thanks for your phone call. You're listening to The Weekend on WHBC, your vacation. Did you take it? Are you going to take it? Did you not take it? We'll talk about that. And uh, Joe Biden still has not yet announced who his running mate will be. Will that have a big influence on the election as uh, he squares off with the incumbent president, Donald Trump? We'll talk about that and more when The Weekend continues on WHBC. The Weekend on 1480 WHBC. I'm Bill Morgan. Thanks for taking some time out of your rainy Stark County Saturday morning to be with us. Major League Baseball tonight. It is uh, all the action of all the Indians in Minnesota. The Tribe falling 4-1. to one. Now, Tom didn't say that too much last night. The Indians got one run. And uh, while Mike Clevenger uh, had really what was Indians' first crummy starting pitching performance of the year. Uh, they didn't have the bats going at all last yeah. night. <laughs> so whether whether we're talking about that or whatever has happened with the Indians, you can say, well, Clev gave up three runs in the first inning. They only scored one run, the Indians, the rest of the game. It, it really wouldn't have mattered. Clev could have shut them down the rest of the way, and the Tribe still wouldn't have won. It's the Indians and the Twins again tonight, and uh, you can catch it right here. First pitch. Coming your way just after 7 o'clock with Tom Hamilton and Jim Rosenhouse. Now, because <laughs> Hammy and Jim Rosenhouse are, are calling the game, and John, I, I don't think this is any secret. It's not anything they're promoting, but uh, they are not in Minneapolis this weekend. They are calling the game from Cleveland. Oh, really? I, I, I remember hearing that, but I had forgotten that that was the case. 
Are you Honestly. being are you being sarcastic? Or no, you... I'm not. I, okay. I had literally. I mean, like they, you know, they they cover it up pretty well. You you wouldn't know from listening on WHBC that that's the case, but because of uh, travel restrictions uh, imposed on broadcasters all across Major League Baseball, they are not making road trips. So um, it would be interesting to know are are they actually at Progressive Field? Or are they somewhere else? Because they are not in Minneapolis, that we know for sure. So well, let uh, me let me see here. I want to see something real quick. Cause... So they will have the call, but uh, they just won't be in Minneapolis. You will hear all the action on WHBC, the Indians Radio Network pregame show, six thirty-five tonight, and the first pitch with Tom and Rosie set to go at seven ten. I'm interested to see because I I. I didn't really get to listen to much of the game last night, so I'm interested to see if I can pull up a highlight here and see what it... There weren't any highlights, but maybe they have a couple. Well, the thing is, and I listened to not all of the broadcasts, but probably seven of the nine innings, and again, to um, the average Tribe fan listening, you can't tell. Now, maybe some of us uh, radio geek types... So the past two nights, they haven't been there, right? That is correct. Okay, that is so correct. this is from, let's see, this is from two nights ago. This is when they won. This was Frankie Lindor's two-run shot. Barrios turns, a look at first. Now he sets, and the 0-2. Swung on, blasted into deep right field, and this ball is gone! Francisco Lindor has drilled a two-out, two-run home run to right field clearing that 23 foot wall and the Indians have a 2-0 lead on Lindor's second home run of the campaign and there was an example of Lindor making an adjustment in the same at bat there's no if you tell me that you can tell that Tom wasn't in Minneapolis I'm going to have to call you a liar and I'm I'm not talking about you John but if somebody listening this morning tells me they can tell the difference i don't think that you can this is from last night max kepler Swung on and this ball is pounded in a deep right center and it's way out of here home run number 15 for max kepler off indians pitching and this is deja vu okay now that time i could tell now why do you say that and again i, I i'm guessing it's because you and i are you know broadcast geeks but I could tell because, and again, there's not a crowd, but you could tell that he wasn't there. Like, it just had this, like, lifeless feeling to him. I get it. It's it's Kepler for the other team hitting a home run. But it, it just didn't seem like it was connected to the game. The Lindor call, it sounded like he was there. It really did. But that one, to me, did not sound the same way. I don't know if, again, it was because it wasn't for the Indians that the run was scored, but something about it, the, the delivery of it, the, the sound of it, it just didn't sound like he was actually there witnessing it firsthand. Well, and it would be very interesting, and and I don't, I mean, and you hear um, Rosie on uh, WHBC all the time. We hear Bob DiBiasio. Uh, I don't know if they would even want to address this on the air, but... You know, how, how do they feel about not being able to travel with the team? Um, I think there are things that um, people like Jim Rosenhaus, people like Tom Hamilton, um, 
get, I think especially in baseball where they're playing basically every day, uh, the relationships you establish uh, with the Terry Francona or with some of the players help the broadcast. Uh, I wonder if they will feel like long-term it hinders their relationship-making ability and the broadcast. Maybe not. I I have no idea. Well, have you ever, and, and I only bring this up because we did this one time last year. When we were at uh, Benson Stadium one time, it was... Uh, I think there might have been a rain delay or something, but it was a it was a small crowd due to some reason. I can't remember if it was rain or you know some other reason, but there was not a lot of people there, and we didn't open the windows, so it's like it felt like we weren't at a game. And I remember like it was really hard for me to keep my energy at a high level because when you don't have like a crowd to feed off of, compared to when we did the Maslin McKinley game, then there it's like you have. 15,000 people, it's like it's hard not to overdo energy sometimes because you're feeding off of the sound that you hear. It's like something happens and the place just erupts. So it's like, you know, it's easy to do it then. It's hard to do it when you don't have people there. So I I don't I don't envy having to do a game with this being the scenario because I don't know how you feel about it, but when I call a game, I feed off of crowd energy because it, it helps me it helps me get into the game more. I like hearing the sound of the crowd going crazy in my headset as I'm calling a big play. It just it, it makes I think it makes a better call. We will dive into that and we promised this and I let you down and for that I apologize prior to the uh, nine o'clock report of news. Will Jim Rosenhaus and Tom Hamilton have a chance to call the complete sixty game schedule after the faux pas of a huge variety the Miami Marlins pulled off last weekend? Um, that may lead to Major League Baseball not even getting through 60 games. We'll find out more when the weekend continues on WHBC. The weekend on 1480 WHBC. I'm Bill Morgan. Thanks for spending part of your Saturday morning with us on uh, Canton Station for news, talk, sports, weather. And we appreciate that because uh, certainly since I began in radio, and that was a long time ago, uh, your choices in media and how you utilize it have changed greatly. So when you are with the radio station who's been with this community and supporting this community, for 95 years, we appreciate that. Whether you're listening on a Saturday morning at 9.38, whether you're listening to Canton's Morning News with Pam Cook Monday through Friday, or Kenny and JT in the afternoon with John Bozik on live and local middays, we do. We have a sincere appreciation for that. Make no doubt about it right here at WHBC. Now, will you get to hear your Cleveland Indians through the end of the 60-game regular season. Well, you were probably thinking when they got that season started now, about a week and a half ago, a week and a half ago, excuse me, that that was a no-brainer. Well, it's not. It's not a no-brainer. Um, and a lot of this ties into uh, what happened with the, the Miami Marlins. Uh, they had, I believe the number, and John will correct me if I'm wrong, I think they had three if not two players test positive for COVID. They found this information out last weekend, 
And then prior to Sunday's game, they had a team meeting about whether they were going to play Sunday. And having a team meeting after several of your teammates test positive for COVID, I can understand that. But, John, you would think that somewhere in whatever that is that uh, MLB issued, it's like a 103-page or 113-page document, there would be strict protocol about when you have active members of the team that have tested positive for COVID, what you do. You don't leave it to a player vote in the clubhouse about whether or not you're going to play. That, to me, seems stupid beyond reproach. It just seems like at this point, I don't know that all teams, all players are taking it as serious as others. And I think because of that, I think that's why you're seeing so many cases of COVID pop up. I I think that MLB needed to go into a bubble like the NBA. And again, there's no guarantee that the bubble is going to prevent COVID from completely becoming a part of it, but... At the same time, you just <laughs> there's just too much risk when you just let things happen in the in the world right now, and that's why I think like even local sports are going to be impossible because it's like you can't bubble high school kids. You know, I mean, I suppose you could say, hey, for you know the couple days leading up to the game, we'll have you stay at the school. You know, we'll make arrangements and and have like beds and stuff here. But you know, I mean, why are you going to do that? You know, so it's like, a, I just, I, I don't know. How do you, how do you manage something that is so hard to keep in place? Cause like Francisco Lindor could be playing in the game tonight. He'll play, he'll take care of everything that he's doing. And then could decide after the game that he and Jose Ramirez are going to go to a local place and, and get a drink together. Sure. And, and, you know, as we've talked about, that's his right. He has the right to do that, but you know you need to control that. You know if you if you don't control that, that's going to lead to more and more positive cases. And then before you know, and I just read this morning that Trevor Plouffe tweeted out wasn't even you know twenty minutes ago. He tweeted that more bad news as he's hearing that at least four more Cardinal players have tested positive for COVID. So it's like you know at some point. <laughs> At some point, this is going to get out of hand. And I I unfortunately think that there's either going to be a long time where things are canceled or things are shut down for a while or something happens along the lines where you're not going to have baseball. Just depends. The Miami Marlins uh, had a number of their games canceled. And by the way, it it quickly elevated from that initial number who were diagnosed with COVID to now it's in double digits with the Marlins in terms of uh, players and coaching staff that are in that situation. John was mentioning uh, St. Louis, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. I I believe, and I was trying to document this uh, before I mentioned it, but I believe there were two scheduled major league games that were supposed to be played Friday that were not played because of that situation. So um, already you see that in place, and uh, Major League Baseball Commissioner, uh, Rob Manfred was uh, making comments about, uh, you know, will they continue? The players need to have a better control of the situation. It, it's really a convoluted mess. Well, and, and here's something else to keep in mind, too, is that 
all these teams are, are NL teams at this point. So it's like you could keep the AL going, and who knows? Now why why do you suppose that is? Why it's all NL teams? Yes. I don't know. I have no idea. Someone said it's a conspiracy, but I what conspiracy could that be that 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 the coronavirus likes the NL more than the AL? I'm sure that's not the case. But like you know, it's just I don't know. I don't know why it's happening more. I mean, maybe it's because I mean, look at the three teams that had it: St. Louis, Miami, and and didn't you say there was somebody else that had a case? Phillies. Yeah. So I mean. You know, Miami and Philadelphia are two huge cities. Not that St. Louis isn't, but they're all they're all really huge cities. And I guess someone would say, well, New York hasn't had a case of it. But I don't know. I guess it just depends on how carefully you take things. You know, Florida has been a hotbed from the start of this thing. So it's like, you know, the fact that it's there and that people keep living their lives, I just think that that's part of the problem is that Florida is just different. You know, I mean, I, I know that there are a lot of jokes that are always made at Florida's expense, but, you know, sometimes sometimes it's noteworthy. You know, I mean, is it did it did it surprise you if I told you you could pick one team bill that would have caught it first? Who would you have probably said? I would have said the Mets or the Yankees. OK, because they're in New York. But 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 I hear what you're saying about Florida, because in the recent expanded time of Cases developing, uh, you've seen a Florida and Arizona and California, Texas been hard hit. I would have personally said uh, the Mets, the Yankees, but uh, yeah, the Marlins would have been a good a guess as anybody. And I, I guess here's the thing that I, I joked about this with Brian yesterday as I was closing up the show, but crowning the World Series champion this year could be really, really interesting for a number of reasons because um, when it comes down to it, Maybe they could do the World Series champion by the last team standing. So the Indians get no coronavirus cases, meaning they get the World Series championship and they get to be crowned the best team in baseball this year. I think that's a great idea. So everyone on the Indians, I know that I know Francisco Lindor and Carlos Santana and those guys are our loyal listeners on Saturday morning. So please, wear a mask and suggest this to Rob Manford. I think it would be a grand idea to do something like this. Frankie, Carlos, the list goes on and on and on. And by the way, you can hear those fine gentlemen coming up tonight on WHBC, the Indians in Minnesota. First pitch just past 7 o'clock right here on 1480. Fourteen eighty WHBC the weekend. I'm Bill Morgan. Your thoughts, uh, your input on anything we've talked about this morning at 330-450-1480. Some uh, good news to report for the second consecutive week, tied into a COVID nineteen and start county in specific. Now Ohio and and I don't know if I'm being honest with you. I, I try to do that for the most part on the show. Exactly how it works, but um, many weeks ago. Ohio started having, on a weekly basis, uh, countywide ratings in terms of the success or not success or seriousness 
of dealing uh, with COVID-19 in all 88 of Ohio's counties. And um, two weeks ago, and you have yellow, which is the lowest level of threat. Is that maybe the right word to say? I'm not sure. Then it goes to uh, orange, red, and purple. Yeah, yellow would be the lowest level. And so um, when this whole thing kicked off, uh, Stark County was orange. But two weeks ago, they went down to yellow. We stayed at yellow. So that is a good thing. Now, again, what are the exact barometers for how those things are increasing or decreasing? Frankly, I, I don't know. But the good news is Stark County went down to yellow two weeks ago. It stayed at yellow. John, as somebody who's at the radio station on a day-to-day basis, uh, in Stark County on a day-to-day basis, what are you hearing in terms of a reasoning for that, if you've heard anything? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest reasoning has been that I, I think people are starting to take the mask mandate a little bit more serious. Um, I still know that there are people that are defying it, but I think based on some of the, the reports that we've gotten from the Star County Health Department, from Jim Adams, is that things are trending in the right direction. Um, you know, I, I think for, like, last week I had Jim on, and he said that they were trending very far in the wrong direction. Um, and that was early in the week. So, uh, you know, it's good to hear, and it's good to see that the numbers are going down. The thing that concerns me, Bill, is that numbers may be going down here, but what worries me is someone from here going to, I don't know, like Franklin County or going to Cuyahoga County and then going out to eat and then coming down here and then potentially spreading something. You know, that's the worry is that, like, you know, and, and I know that, like, it's kind of like a... Every county is on a different level, but you can't prevent travel within the state. You know, you can prevent travel from, like, leaving the state, but you can't prevent it within the state. And it's just, you know, what's to say that someone from Cuyahoga County doesn't come down here and get together with a bunch of people and that person's been in contact with someone? You know, there's just, that's what's going to hurt it again if people do that. Well, we will have to see how all of that plays out, but on the good news side of it, uh, for the second consecutive week, uh, the yellow ranking for Stark County. So if you're looking for, and I think we kind of all are at this point, looking for positives, searching for positives, that would certainly be a positive. On the not positive side of that is for the second consecutive week, uh, jobless claims, now we're talking nationwide, have uh, jumped again. So... When it looked like from a, a financial perspective, uh, based on what's happening in the stock market, when that thing had really plummeted to uh, beginning to climb back upwards. And, and no, it is not. It's still about 3,000 points down from uh, where it was when the uh, pandemic began. But uh, climbing up, but now we see the jobless numbers in terms of new claims filing having jumped again the last two weeks. So, uh, you know, I am not an economist, probably not a surprise to you listening this morning, but that's not a good thing. So where is all of this going? I don't think anybody knows, and I believe that's people's biggest point of frustration right now. You don't know where it's going, good, bad. Are we just treading water, uh, waiting for vaccine that is now in another testing phase to find out... Um, whether or not uh, that can be successful long-term. And, of course, people will say, uh, 
I am going to take the vaccine. I'm not taking the vaccine. And the unrest that sits with everybody, that's the part that, uh, for me personally, is most disturbing. I I tend to be a kind of happy-go-lucky person, try to get along with everybody, no matter uh, what their political persuasions are or uh, what their personality is. It's harder to do that right now. I, I mean, to me, there's no question about that. People are concerned about different things. Uh, it may all be centered around one topic, but, you know, people are like, I'm wearing a mask everywhere I go, whether it's from my couch to the bathroom in my own home, from one extreme, or I won't wear a mask unless you staple that thing to my face. And every other viewpoint in between. I don't like that. makes me uncomfortable. Um, and that's just my personal nature. And if you are a, a big-time mask advocate, good for you. If you're somebody who is anti-mask, I don't know if I'd say good for you, but I can understand some of the sentiment that some people have with that. What I don't like is what I view as the non-American, we're all kind of divided right now. And, um, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. And you can look at that and say, well, that saying's hundreds of years old. I don't even know if I buy into that. I can tell you this. I buy into that. When this nation has faced its biggest threats ever since uh, we formed as a nation in 1776, I think the reason we get through those things is because we find a reason, a point or two or three to unite on. But when we don't and we have division, That's where we uh, face the biggest challenges, imploding from the inside. Hey, don't worry about what China's doing. Don't worry about what's happening in the Middle East. You better worry about what's happening here in the Great 50. Because right now, that's kind of, in my mind, what we're doing. We're imploding. You know what? If your neighbor across the street is a mask advocate... Let them be a mask advocate. Why do you give a damn whether they want to wear a mask everywhere they go? Now, if your neighbor across the street is anti-mask and they don't want to wear a mask, could I understand perhaps you being a little bit more upset about that than vice versa? Yeah, but you know what? If he or she doesn't want to wear a mask and somebody coughs on them and they're not wearing a mask, they're going to face some issues. I, I mean, medically and scientifically, I don't think there's any question about that. But if that's the choice there... Now, uh, if you flip that back, and that's why I say I think you can understand why somebody who is mask advocate has a problem with that, because the same thing's not... If they're coughing and they're not wearing a mask, or they sneeze and they're not wearing a mask, then you, as person who has a mask, uh, I understand. But many times when we face challenges in this nation, we've found a way to unite. we found a way to get together. And right now, I don't think we're finding those ways for the most part. And could that lead to further trouble down the road? It could. If we can find a reason to unite, 
to battle what is COVID-19, to battle the financial implications that have affected so many, the employment situations that affected so many, then we will get through this. But if we continue to have the divisiveness that we've had to this point, I think we're going to continue to have problems. We may have bigger problems than we already have, and that's not anything that any of us wants. You're listening to The Weekend on WHBC coming up in the next hour. Uh, We're going to dive into a couple of different topics than where we've been through the first two so far. We hope you'll be here. The news with Noah Hiles coming up next on WHBC. The weekend on 1480 WHBC. I'm Bill Morgan. We're here until 11 o'clock. Try baseball tonight on WHBC. The Indians in Minnesota take on the Twins. And the Twins are a fascinating story in the MLB over the last couple of years. They were a team that at the beginning of 2019, I don't think anybody uh, painted a picture that this was a team that was going to be a good baseball team. And that's exactly what they turned out to be. Matter of fact, they were more than just a good baseball team. They were bordering, depending upon a perspective of yours or people who follow sports, of being a great team. And now the Indians are battling the Twins of the four-game series. I believe they're going to play at 10 with the Twins in the midst of this um, shortened 2020 campaign. They have split the first two game three tonight. Uh, coverage on WHBC beginning at 6 35, the Indians radio network pregame show, and the uh, first pitch at 7.10. So catch the Tribe tonight right here on WHBC. We know as the uh, presidential race draws closer and closer, and uh, we are just about at the stage where we are three months away from the November election, uh, the incumbent Donald Trump doing battle uh, with uh, Joe Biden. And uh, the only question in terms of who's running for what is, who will Joe Biden's vice presidential candidate be? Well, back when they were in the uh, debate stages of the primary, and it was uh, Joe and um, Bernie Sanders, Biden made a commitment that his vice presidential candidate would be a woman. So will his choice of a vice presidential candidate have a significant influence on what happens between he and Donald Trump. Now, if you look at virtually every poll that's out there right now, Biden has a noticeable lead, and uh, we could get into percentage points, but they vary so widely depending upon the poll that it's difficult to tell which one's most accurate. Are any of them accurate? Is it going to matter come the first week in November? But do you think that Biden's selection of a vice presidential candidate will influence the race? I I don't think it will. I think the only time we've seen in, in recent history where a vice presidential candidate uh, had great influence on the race is uh, when Sarah Palin was selected as the vice presidential candidate. And that sort of um, probably had a negative effect on what was already going to be a challenging situation for John McCain. So maybe it could have a a negative effect on Joe Biden, depending upon who he selects. 
But will it have um, – will his selection of a VP change the people who are in the middle? If you believe numbers that tend to say, hey, 45% of the people are Republicans, 45% of the people are Dems, to win that, you're going to have to win the 10% that are in the middle. Will Joe Biden's selection of a VP influence your vote, John Bozica? I do believe that his choice will affect the election. Do I you? I heartily believe it will. I actually think that it will for a number of reasons. I think that uh, depending on who he picks, I think it will um, be key in the debate that we see at the vice presidential level with Mike Pence. Because I think that, you know, through this whole pandemic, Mike Pence has been a very hands on vice president. I mean, really, when you think about it in years past, you how often do you really ever hear from the vice president almost never so like i mean we've heard from mike pence a lot you know due due to the pandemic and he's led a lot of the task force that's been involved in that so you know i think that it'll be key who he picks to debate against mike pence and and i think it'll be interesting to see how that person does against pence um i think there's a lot of people that that feel that you know a lot of times Pence is the better politician, you know, pure politician between Pence and Trump. So it'll be interesting to see that for one. Um, And then two, I think, depending on who he picks, I think he could get some of the minorities to vote for him even more. You know, I know that that one of the thoughts has been that he wanted to choose not just a woman, but a woman of color, you know. So, you know, we'll be I think it'll be interesting to see if he picks someone that is in that 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 realm. I know that he's. He's had a short list that he's been working with, but I, I think because because Trump and Biden both tend to sometimes talk from you know the you know speak from you know the hip, if you will, and not always come in with a prepared statement. Um, I think having someone that is a well-spoken, you know, crafted VP that is ready to go into a debate would be a good thing. I think that can help him. Also, someone that's young, I think, can help him too. Well, I I think you bring up a great point about uh, Mike Pence. And and I realize for all of us, just about, it's hard to separate your political thoughts from something like this. But I think you're unequivocally right that Pence is a better politician than Donald Trump is. He knows how to work the political waves, whereas Trump Trump, to, Trump just comes in, uh, you know, swinging a sledgehammer. Yeah, Trump is a Trump is a he's a master at a couple of things, and you, you you will never hear me say this about the president, but I'm going to. Trump is a master at media manipulation. I believe. I think he he knows how to to frame a story, get it told a certain way, and keep it in the news cycle. He's really good at that. He's also really good at marketing what he wants his message to be. That's why he won in 2016. He came up with Make America Great Again, was a message that a lot of people stood behind, and he won the election because of it. And there's a lot of, any political pundit would tell you that exact same thing. I was looking for your MAGA hat, but I, those, I know you don't have one. I know that you don't. those are the two things that he did well. No, he did right. I, you I, know, I don't think people can argue that. And and I think that that where Pence is good then for his his you know cabinet is that Pence is a pure politician. 
Like he has been in the game for a while. He knows what he's doing. You know, you may disagree with him, as many do. You may agree with him wholeheartedly, which a lot of people do that too. But, you know, I mean, it's like because he has that element to him, it's good because he can sometimes bring things back and and create a sense of normalcy to things that sometimes the president does. The thing that I think Joe Biden needs is that I, I think everyone would admit, yes, Joe Biden is is a, a an aging person. So is Donald Trump. They're both old. You know, I mean, the fact that we ended up with two of the older candidates possible here again is not a not a, a great thing for America. But um, I think the one thing that Biden has then is that you could say Biden, just like Mike Pence, is a career politician. Like he knows how to play the game. And, like, I know that people are doubting whether or not he can still play that game, but I think he still can. And I, I think that that's going to be a challenge for the president to see how he handles himself against someone who has held a seat as high as Joe Biden has and someone who's been around as long as former Vice President Biden has. And not just that, but if he picks a strong VP, then, again, it challenges Mike Pence. And that's where... To me, you can get those votes because the one thing that's holding a lot of people my age back from maybe voting for a Joe Biden would be the fact that he is older. Like a lot of people feel, okay, he's not old. He's there. He's old. He's not progressive. He's not like some of the other candidates that people liked. Well, if he picks a young, you know, ready to to pounce on things VP that is very outspoken, I think that could help his ticket a lot. I think it could help him. You mentioned uh, woman of color, certainly one of the names, and not the only name, but uh, Kamala Harris, who at one time was a, a presidential candidate uh, from the state of California, has been bannered about. Uh, one that you haven't heard as prominently, um, and she is not a woman of color, but uh, certainly female, and uh, somebody who is very politically well-versed, Amy Klobuchar from uh, Minnesota. So... I, I mean, I, I think that those, I, I think that at one point Klobuchar was in it. I also think that I've heard, um, oh, the, the woman from uh, Georgia who was in it, Abrams. I think it's Stacey Abrams. Yes. Um, I've I've heard her name a lot that's been thrown around. Uh, I know that a lot of people have said Elizabeth Warren should be on that list. Um, people have said before that, that they like the work that the, the governor of Michigan has done. Gretchen Whitmer, she's been very outspoken during the pandemic, and and a lot of people feel that oftentimes her leadership has been good, despite getting you know ridiculed by the president. Oftentimes, um, so you know, I think there's a I think there's a short list there, and and I think that if I was to put my money on someone again, uh, none of us know anything more than the next guy, but I I would tend to to say that Kamala Harris has to be towards the top of that list because. Here's the thing, Bill. If you remember back to those debates, who was the person on that stage that was most outspoken against Biden? It was Kamala Harris every single debate. And then who was like one of the first people to endorse Joe Biden once he started winning the states? It was Joe Biden. So like, I mean, you know, there there has to be something there that like, you know, because she was as she was as on the attack on him as anyone else that was on that stage. You know, they all kind of ganged up on him because they sensed that he was the front runner. So, you know, I, I to me, something has to be in the works there. And if not VP, then somewhere in his cabinet, she's going to sit. I, I just would have to imagine.
If you are amongst the undecided with the presidential election three months away, after we take a timeout, your thoughts on what is going to make a decision for you. Will you lean to the incumbent Republican side with Donald Trump and Mike Pence? Will you lean toward Joe Biden and whoever he selects as his vice presidential candidate? We want to hear from you. Not that we don't care about dyed-in-the-wool Republicans. Not that we don't care about dyed-in-the-wool Democrats. Because essentially, barring something strange happening on both sides, we know who you're voting for. But it's the undecided part that will decide the election. We'll talk to you when we come back. This is WHBC. The weekend, 1480 WHBC. I'm Bill Morgan, taking your calls at 330-450-1480. If you are amongst the undecided, headed uh, down the uh, home stretch for November in terms of who you will vote for for president, Uh, the challenger, Joe Biden, the incumbent, Donald Trump, what is going to be the uh, leading factor that will make the decision for you in terms of who you will vote for? Again, if you're a Republican, We know you're going to vote for uh, the president. If you're a Democrat, you're going for Joe Biden. But if you're undecided, what's going to make a difference for you? It's Angry Mike on line one. Angry Mike, good morning. You're on WHBC. I won't vote for either one of them. They're both a damn joke. How's that? Who are now? Now, see now, how are you not going to vote? That that's not that's not going to help the situation. No, but the thing is, Biden's a he's dumber than a box of rocks. Trump and Johnny B knows I can't stand. Biden is a joke. You know what? This, you know what all this is turning into is what they're going to do is, and I hate to say it this way, but what's going to end up happening? He's going to have a black vice president. He's going to bow out because they're saying he's incompetent, and it's going to be a black vice president woman, and she's going to take over. Now, you 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 remember I said this. Well, we we appreciate your call, but I, I mean, I, I don't think that's any surprise. John and I were sort of alluding to that, that um, one of the top candidates, if not more than one, uh, will be an African-American woman. So... If that happens, it won't be to anybody's surprise. Uh, would it be an attempt if um, Kamala Harris would be that person to influence the vote of uh, the state of California, to influence the African-American? Absolutely. I mean, that's nothing new, selecting a vice presidential candidate that could weigh in the favor of you, whether you're the Republican or whether you're the Democrat. Not, not a surprise. I, it's, John, the way... Politics is played on the presidential level. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And and I mean, I think, as I said, I think the other thing that's that's to keep in mind is maybe to a, a bit of angry Mike's point here, but the fact that, you know, Biden is going to be an older guy, you know, when he assumes office already. I mean, he's going to be 78. We figured out if he assumes the office at that point. And I mean, I don't I don't see him being 
a person who serves two terms. I see him being a guy that if he wins the election, he'd serve one term, he'd bring back the things that he believes represents America, and then that's why I think his VP pick is so important, because then that person would be someone who could be looked at as being like the front runner going into 2024. So whether that is Stacey Abrams, whether that is a you know Kamala Harris or a um, Gretchen Whitmer, who again, when you look at the ages of those individuals, so let's take let's take Stacey Abrams for example. I mean, I think she's very young. Uh, she's 46. So you know, I mean that that would be she'd be like. 50 if she was to run for president then which I know a lot of people aren't fans of hers but I mean she's a name that's been out there Kamala Harris again the other name she's 55 so I mean you're looking at people that are younger that if they get the opportunity they would be a younger president to assume the office and we had we had looked it up in the break Trump was the oldest president to ever assume the office so it's like you know we're we're trending in the wrong direction here Bill we should be looking to get younger not get older you know, and and I really believe that for the president of the United States more than anything that you need someone who is a bit younger. Well, define younger, but but you're a younger person, so of course you're going to say that. But I'm I'm my my point is this, and and I know that age is 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 not just the number. I get that. Like I understand that that's the case, and and I don't want people to think that I'm being like, you know, against people of a certain age. But I mean, at the same time. I also believe that the presidency should be someone who is, you know, more at the middle portion of their life. You know, someone who is still on the the upswing of their of their life opposed to someone who's in the latter part of their career. I mean, this would be there's no doubt if Biden wins the presidency, this would be the icing on top for his his political career. It would. You know, it would it would mean that he has achieved basically every level of politics that you can. And a lot of people would say he's been very successful and a lot of people would still hate him afterwards. But, um, you know, I, I think he is in this simply to try to win, to restore what he knows, what he has, what he has fought for in his time as a politician. You know, the America that he has known. I think that's why he's doing this. If you are among the undecided, as we were talking about what is going to most influence your vote? 330-450-1480. Because believe me, between now and the first week of November, there is going to be in the United States of America millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars spent trying to get your vote, trying to influence your vote. Again, if you are a card-carrying member of the Democratic Party, or you've been a Republican since the first time you could cast your lot, that's all important. Uh, the most important part is for you to get out and vote. But they know they're going to get your vote. If you're a Republican, President Trump knows he's going to get your vote. If you're a Democrat, Senator Biden knows he's going to get your vote. But if you're in the middle and you haven't decided how is your vote going to be influenced by what happens between now and November? How can the Republican Party, how can the Democratic Party rein in your vote? 330-450-1480, because you're going to be the ones that decide the election. As you sit here in the city of Canton on this kind of miserable-looking morning, or anywhere in Stark County, what's going to make the decision for you 
about whether you're voting for President Trump or Senator Biden. 330-450-1480. This is The Weekend on WHBC. Myself because I love you. Yes, I do. 1480 WHBC, the weekend. I'm Bill Morgan as we come down the uh, home stretch of the. Don't cheer. When I say it's the home stretch of the show and you're cheering as you're uh, driving on Tusk somewhere in Canton or over in Perry Township or you're uh, shooting up 77, I, it's hurtful to me. I may not sound like it on the radio, but I'm a. Seeing a stop, Bozika. I'm a sensitive, emotional man, and uh, Bozika, I'm going to be uh, filling in for uh, for the boss, Pam Cook, on Canton's Morning News Monday. Are, are, are you producing that show? Is JD producing that show? Do you have any idea at this point in time? It's JD producing that. I'd show rather now. work with him anyway. <laughs> so, so. So, okay. So, J.D. will be here. I'll be here. Pam taking... Yeah, you're playing the cheering sound effect because you don't got to be here at 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so... <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's always that. By the way, did you uh, beat your dad in golf? Uh, we want to give you your weekly update on John's golfing escapades. Well, yes, I did beat my dad at golf yesterday. We uh, played again. Same course as before. I actually... I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this to... It's gonna to sound. jam a stick in Dad's cage. <laughs> it's gonna sound like I'm tooting my own horn either way. But, Here we go. But I had a chance yesterday. Again, we played a really easy course, but I had a chance yesterday to actually break seventy. Like I could have shot like, really, like in the sixties. I shot seventy five, and I just I didn't. I I hit a. I'm trying to think of what hole it was. It was probably like our thirteenth hole. I hit what seemed like it was gonna be a perfect shot, and there's this tree that hangs over the green there. And it got caught up in the tree, and then opposed to this tree, it can either bounce forward or it can bounce back. And it hit the tree and bounced back. And I just come off of a birdie from the previous hole, so I, you know, kind of lost my, kind of lost my focus after that because I was just like the course didn't reward me. I, I, I John, course. you your game rewards itself. No. The the course doesn't reward you, but the course does reward you. Don't good, don't blame it on the course. So you shot 75. What did Pops shoot? Shot 87. Okay. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I look at it like this, and, and I've, I've probably said this before. Maybe I haven't, but the average golfer doesn't even break 100. And my dad and I both break 100 every time we go out. Right. We both break 90 every time we go out. And, right. You know, most times I'm in game to break 70 or break 80, and my brother is in line to break 90 most times he goes out as well but it's like you know I, I i think that i'd like to think that the bozikas are are an anomaly to the game of golf that we all are above average golfers by the way i think john and, and i'm not a doctor he may have just sprained his right shoulder patting himself on the back and talking about his golf game now what is the nicest course you have ever played the nicest course I have ever played. Gosh, I don't know. I I mean, I've always wanted to play one of the 
area courses. Have you ever pro- played Firestone? I know either of the Firestone, and I've always wanted to. I really right. have. Uh, just have never had the opportunity, and and I'd love to be able to play it someday. I don't know, nicest course I've ever played. I've played um, uh, Glenmore here in Canton, which is pretty nice. I played Brookside here in Canton, which is pretty nice. I, I think the nicest course I've ever played, though, it's a course up in Ravenna. It's called Windmill Lakes. I, I really believe that for its money, it is the best public 18 holes that you can find in the area. It's really tough. Like It's the only course that I've ever been to that by the end of the round, I was literally like stressed out because of how tough it is. Um, it just, it, it keeps coming at you. It's like, just when you think it's reached its peak level of toughness, it's like, hold my beer. You know, there's a hole here that's going to, you know, force you to want to have a, a, a slight aneurysm over this hole. So, you know, it's, it's really tough. It's just a hard golf course. So I'd say that's the nicest that I've ever played though. Now you played golf in high school. Mm-hmm. What would you say in terms of a percentage basis, break it down in golf. How much of it is physical in terms of your swing, in terms of your abilities? How much of it is mental? I've heard people say who are hardcore golfers that, boy, in terms of all the sports that are out there, they kind of think the mental part of the game may be as big in terms of a percentage basis in golf as it is in any other sport. Do you agree, disagree? Where do you stand, John Bozica? Yeah, I mean, I've always... I've always been in the camp that I think golf is one of the most mentally I don't know if debilitating is the right word, but it's one of the most mentally tough sports because it does take it takes a fortitude, I think, to keep going at it. And I know people would say, Oh, well, you know, baseball takes that and you know, football takes that and every sport takes that. But like the only here's the thing that I heard one time. Someone said, Oh, well, you know, try hitting a baseball that's coming at you 90 miles per hour over the plate that's sinking. Well, that's fine. You know, you hit that and you may foul it off. The thing is, in golf, if you hit a foul ball, you have to go hit it from the spot that you foul it to. So it's like if you hit it 40 yards right into the trees, you got to go find it. You got to go hit it out of there. You got to go think about it. You know, every shot, there's every shot is a. It's not just playing for where your your shot is going to go. It's playing for where is my miss. So a lot of people, when they play golf, they're like, I'm just going to play this hole, try to hit it the fairway, and then try to hit it onto the green. Well, it's also, what if you don't hit a good tee shot? Where would you like to miss? And then if you do miss in that spot, from that point, you obviously have a spot where you want to hit it to, but where would you like to miss again? You're playing for your miss more than you're playing for your make. Well, and one of the other things is, and and I am, for all intents and purposes, not a golfer. I've golfed about a half dozen times in my life. You could be, and I think this is what you're alluding to anyway, John, but you could be great off the tee, Mm -hmm. but if your putting stinks or if your short game stinks, it may not matter that you're great off the tee or, or vice versa. You know, you may be a great guy or gal once you get on the green, you can putt the crap out of the ball, but if it takes you five shots to get to the green, then you got a problem there. Well, that's the thing is I have I, I've played with I've played both ways myself personally in my life, and then I've played with golfers who play both ways, and I've seen both ways successfully work. My dad does not hit the tee ball far like most people does, but he puts with you know the best of them, so he scores. 
And then, you know, I've I've kind of modeled my game after him in the sense that I try to putt really well. The only thing is I have more distance than he does. So, like, you mix the two together, and it's it's something that comes in handy. But, you know, I mean, I've seen people that, that play irons off of every tee. I mean, they score just fine because they can't hit their driver, you know, which I, I don't think anyone in this world can't hit that club. I just think people think they can't hit it. You know, they get a mental block that they can't. Everyone can hit it. You just have to convince yourself of it. My brother went through a whole summer where he thought he couldn't hit it. And then one day he and I went to the range and I got him hitting it again. And he's 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 been hitting it ever since. So One of the things I've always heard about the game of golf in terms of your ability to play it from the time you learn the game, whether that was at 10 or 12 or 22 or 32, is you can pick golf up and take it with you for your whole life. Yes, you can. Um, and as opposed to, say, something like football, you know, you start playing football as a, as a young man, and uh, you have a, a nice, successful high school career. You started a little bit, or whatever the scenario might be. But for the vast majority of football players, your career ends when you're done playing for the Jackson Polar Bears or for the McKinley Bulldogs or whatever the scenario is because there just aren't tons of opportunities to go play either at the collegiate level or if you are good enough to even go play Division three football somewhere, once your career is done there, you're done. I, I mean, could you go play in the NFL? Sure. But it, it just doesn't happen. But golf, you can keep playing. You may not play it well, but you can keep playing. Well, and that's the thing is that, like, you know, even if I wanted to, and, and I've started thinking about it again more often just because of – having time on our hands with the pandemic, but I've, I've thought about, you know, trying to get myself into a, a local amateur tournament just to see. Sure. I mean, like, I know, I know I would not win the thing. I understand that. And I know I would probably not even finish in the top half of the tournament because they toughen the courses, they play it from the back tees, and I haven't played at that level since high school. But, like, I mean, I'd like to think if I went into one of those, I'd like to think I could finish middle of the pack. Like, I, I, if I went out there and shot, like, in the mid-80s both days and, and was respectable and, like, you know, ran into some people that I knew from the area and, like, you know, didn't laugh myself off of the course, then, you know, I'd be happy with myself. I really would be. So, you know, part of me when, you know, the Tiger Town Open happens in Maslin or when you, you know, get the Star County Amateur, a part of me is like, should I, should I get into that? But then I always think to myself, what if I went out there and I shot, like, you know, 92 both days and like really made a, a fool of myself, you know, because you tighten up when you play in a tournament. You do. I am going to uh, effort and to have a little more golf talk next weekend to talk uh, with my uh, fellow New Philadelphia resident, uh, Blake Sattler. He uh, was a very good golfer at the University of Akron. He was obviously a very good high school golfer. He is out um, on one of the lower level pro tours okay. trying to get his uh, cue card and play on the PGA Tour. And we'll talk to Blake a little bit about that, but we'll also see what kind of advice he has for the John Bozica golfers of the world and, uh, you know, what he can tell you about trying to uh, amp up your game. So we'll work on that for next weekend. This is This Weekend on WHBC. The weekend on WHBC Canton's own OJs. I wonder how long of a debate it would be 
on uh, WHBC, whether it was on Canton's Morning News with Pam, live and local with John, middays, Kenny and JT breaking this topic down on afternoons. Come up, John, with a list of the five most famous people or groups of people that work together from the city of Canton. Ooh, that that would a good question. That would be a great topic. I mean, because when you look at, and living here every day, Canton, Stark County, working here every day, you don't really think about it, I don't think. Because if you live here, you don't think, well, it's a pretty big town, pretty big area. But when you look around the state, outside of the three big C's, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, then you've got Toledo, Akron, and Dayton. I believe this is the seventh biggest metropolitan area in the entire state. So you've got those three, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati. Then you've got Toledo and Dayton over on the west side of the state. Then you ramble off and uh, mention Akron. I think you're talking about the seventh biggest. Ohio cities by population. Let's go here. This is Ohio demographics by Cubit online. So if you're questioning these, that's where you can go to question them. Uh, Columbus number one, Cleveland number two, Cincinnati number three. Okay, would that have? Would you have? Would you have guessed that order? Here's what I know because I'm a Columbus freak. Um, Columbus is, and and what those numbers are looking at is population inside of the city. Now, if you're talking metropolitan populations, uh, the areas there's Cleveland is a runaway winner. But inside of the city, Columbus is bigger than the city of Cleveland. Okay, fair. I did know that, too, actually, because of going to school down there at Otterbein. Oh, there you go. I remembered that from that time. And the beautiful Berg of Westerville, Ohio. Hey, people people don't even know how beautiful Westerville can be this time of year. Well, I, it makes you emotional, so I don't, let's it not, let's the not quiet, delve any further village. into that. Yes. I remember it fondly. Um, Toledo is fourth. Akron is fifth, Dayton is sixth, Parma is seventh, and then Canton is eighth. Now, here would be my argument to that, and and I want to see if you agree with this. I would say that Parma deserves to be a part of Cleveland. Well, and that's where I'm at. I, I, I think you and I are essentially speaking the same language, because without Cleveland... Parma would exist, but would the population in Parma be what it is now without the city of Cleveland? No way. Well, Absolutely not. That's according to, again, what I went on there. Now, if you go to... See, now, if you go to... This is so weird. If you go to uh, the list of Ohio cities on uh, Wikipedia, I think the order is basically the same. It is. So... But- the order is always the same. Parma always comes ahead of Canton. Parma which... is never ahead of Canton. Let's be clear about that. Parma is no way, shape, or form superior to the greatness that is Canton, Ohio. Now, if you want to get into where that quiet, peaceful village is that I called home during my four years of college, two it was actually that I actually went to. Did they kick you out or did you voluntarily leave? I decided to leave um, because I got a job here. So, Westerville is 30th on this list. The uh, booming metropolis has 
41,000 people. Now, here's another argument I would make, though, about Westerville. I would say Westerville, Bexley, where capital is, all those little areas, Gahanna, Worthington, they all exist. But I would say places like that, even Dublin, they are part of the Columbus metro area. Yes. Like, you do not... You don't live in Westerville because you enjoy the cooking at Jimmy V's downtown. Now, I love Jimmy V's. Great food. However, you live in Westerville because Columbus is a hop, skip, and a jumble way. Correct. Listen. Just, just when, like you live in Parma because Cleveland is a hop, skip, and a jumble way. When I was growing up in Columbus a few years ago, <laughs> only one of the suburbs of what. Did you just say 1847? I did. I did. I said that. This is another reason. I'm glad I'm working with JD on Monday morning and not you. Fighting words there. Because, because A, JD is nicer to me on the radio anyway. Wow. You're, you're both very nice behind the scenes. He's nicer to me on the radio than you are. Wow. Secondarily, um, he doesn't take cheap shots like you do. Who took you to Taggart's, huh? Okay. You took me to Taggart's, but you who paid, paid at Taggart's? You, paid. <laughs> okay. you got me there. Um, I, I, well, I, I, I've lost track of where I was going. But when I, when I was growing up in Columbus, it was back in the eighties. There was only one suburb at that time that had more than one high school, and that was Westerville. At that time, they had Westerville North and Westerville South, and now every suburb. Of Columbus has like four high schools. They do, and and that's the explosion, the population growth, and again, those suburbs, the Westervilles, the Pickringtons, the Hilliards. For those of you who have any familiarity with Central Ohio, they all have multiple high schools. Dublin, like John said, but without the core in the city of Columbus being their state government, of course, Ohio State University. Do those places exist, Worthington? Sure, they do, but do they exist to the size they are without what's called? And for those of you who think I'm not the smartest guy ever, I, I think this ties in maybe to sociology, but it's urban sprawl. People who don't want to live in the city, they move out to the suburbs. So. Careful, you might trip over those big words. What I've often said about that is I can say those big words, just don't ask me to spell those big words. Uh, He's Bill Morgan, folks. Yeah, that, thank you. Uh, John Bozica and I on the weekend. I uh, hear John again coming up on Monday morning at 10 o'clock with his live and local show. I'll be pinch hitting for uh, Pam Cook on Canton's Morning News beginning at 530. You have a great weekend from 1480 WHBC.